Look at you. Doing a line of pine cone off the prince's wrist. Drenched in brill cream. What you store out of a Bewitt's pharmacy. Stare at the moon. Your face retching from a sachet of vinegar. You gentle, fair-haired dimpness. That was a poem that was uh, written by Hollywood actor Barry Pepper. And it was just handed to me by Barry Pepper. Who I happened to bump into on the street. I bumped into him on the street and he was wearing galoshes. Because I am in London. In Saha. In the West End of London. And when you're in London, you bump into people like Barry Pepper and he hands you a poem for your podcast. That definitely happened. How are you getting on? You dramatic cunts. What's the crack with you? Welcome to the Blind Boy podcast. Um, I'm, in, I'm in London. Last week I was very sick. This week I'm not sick. I just finished my course of antibiotics a half an hour ago. I should be grand. I'll go hell for leather on the probiotics tomorrow to counteract the damage they did to my um, internal flora. But uh, yeah, I'm over in London. As you can, as you can hear, the sound actually isn't too bad. I think I'm achieving a podcast hug. I'm in a lovely fucking apartment. Couple of weeks back when I was in London I'm over here working on my TV series at the BBC a couple of weeks ago when I was in London I was staying in a hotel and going mad so I said to the BBC get me a fucking apartment if I'm staying here because I need to have a sense of autonomy and control over my life so I'm in an apartment in Soho and it's fantastic I mean, no, here's the thing. It's like, by London standards, it's fantastic. It's like, it's it's an ex-council flat. Here's the mad thing about London, like, it's in this tower block and it's an ex-council flat and it's probably worth like three million quid. Do you know? It's this really small flat um, that I have for the month and it was built in the 50s I believe and in the 50s it would have just been social housing for somebody who needed it and at the time was probably frowned upon by posh people as a hovel but now here we are in uh, 2019 and this ex-council flat is somewhere that a lawyer would live in central London because it's in the middle of Soho so I, I have that for the month but it's great I'm here recording my podcast. The sound is, is, is fantastic. The room that I'm in, it's kind of busy. So there's, there's shit all around the gaff that catches sound. And in front of me, I'm on the corner of a tower block. So I have the vista of the London city in front of me. It, it's, um, I couldn't ask for a nicer fucking place to record this podcast, to be honest, you know. It, it has that, that right energy, that energy that I'm looking for. I feel like, like when I'm trying to achieve the the podcast hug, like I said, there's two 
kind of visions I have. The first one is Blade Runner in Deckard's apartment. Where, oh, what cunt is texting me? I was on a Blade Runner rant. But, yeah, the aesthetic that I, the visual aesthetic that is the podcast hug for me, it's that Blade Runner aesthetic where it's the dark, futuristic Deckard's apartment with humming lights. Or the other one is, there's a song by a fella called Donald Fagan. He used to be in Steely Dan. And he's got a song called The Nightfly, which is about a late night radio DJ just playing jazz into the middle of the night. And that's the other thing in my head when I'm thinking of the, the visual aesthetic that I'm trying to achieve in an oral fashion. It's the theatrical world that is created in the song The Nightfly by Donald Fagan. And I think I've achieved that here. I'm in the corner of a tower block. Um, it's sufficiently dystopian. And there's a bang of loneliness, but not that bad loneliness. The good type, the type that I enjoy. So anyway, how are you getting on? I hope you're having a good time. Um, in Soho, like I said, or Saha, as I call it, which which I enjoy being in because it's my favourite part of London because I know it well, I know it well. I have a relationship with uh, Soho Theatre here in London. We've been gigging Soho Theatre for fucking years, since about 2011. When we, with the rubber bandits, were getting kind of annoying in Ireland and annoyingly big with the wrong fan base after Horse Outside, we fucked off over to London and decided to make some friends in Soho and we did and Soho Theatre used to put us on for like 30 nights in a row like doing gigs and we cut our teeth with fucking theatre audiences doing that so Soho's very warm to my heart but it's it's what what I love about London it's it's a it's a fucking city that's so steeped in history and one of my favourite things to do is there's like Wikipedia on my phone, right? There's a feature on the Wikipedia app where you can hook it up with Google Maps. So when you're walking around with, with your Google Maps, depending on where you are physically, if there's any relevant Wikipedia articles nearby, they'll pop up. And when you're in London, there's a fucking Wikipedia article every two inches. It's such a historic place. And I love the history of Soho. Soho is it's on the west end of London and like London City right historically it's kind of like the city of Westminster which is a, it's a small enough area around the Tower of London we'll say right it's a small enough area so what Soho actually is it was an area to the west of the city of London right so outside the walls of the city that was just kind of forests and farmland. And Henry VIII, who was... Henry VIII's a cunt. I don't usually use that word. I don't usually use the C word in a disparaging fashion. I usually use it as a term of endearment. But when referring to Henry VIII, I, th- I think it's fair to call him a cunt. Um, Because he caused a lot of hassle, you know, let's face it. Because of his ad- adventurous penis... 
Henry VIII's adventurous penis caused a lot of trouble, mainly the introduction of Protestantism to Britain and what that meant for Ireland. Ireland didn't fare too well out of that with his itchy penis because he wanted a, a lot of wives to divorce, but should we all know that? But anyway, another thing that Henry VIII did, so outside the city walls to the west of the city walls in London where Soho is now was just farmland. So Henry VIII says, right, this fucking farmland area to the west of the city, outside the walls, that's going to be like a my personal preserved hunting grounds, right? So Henry VIII says this area is his hunting grounds where he can disappear at the weekends with his lords and go hunting boars or whatever the fuck. But, so that's what they started doing. Henry and some chosen posh boys would leave the city walls and go to the forested area where Soho is now and do their hunting. So what naturally would start to happen is these are just like Henry VIII and his friends. I don't know, how, how would you? They'd be like the worst rugby lads. Do you know, the worst rugby lads. So they fuck off for a week of hunting out into the forest. And they weren't really, they, they were a bit of hunting, but really what they wanted was drinking and riding outside of their marriages. So they would then bring with them Henry would have what you'd call concubines. Concubines would have been a personal harem of sex workers just for Henry. And then his lords might have brought a few with them as well. But as the forested area that is now Soho became the place where Pashkons went to hunt, women who were sex workers naturally started to kind of hang around the area because that's where a lot of work was happening. And slowly but surely, as that developed into kind of towns and villages in the Soho area, Soho became associated with the sex trade going as far back as Henry VIII. And kind of alongside the sex trade then as well became... became like a land of partying. A land where conventional rules of morality, morality of the time don't matter so on top of like we'll say the sex trade you would have had taverns or the equivalent of nightclubs as well and this develops on into fucking Victorian times and then the gay community start to kind of position themselves in Soho and the reason being like obviously like gay people were massively massively persecuted massively persecuted and they found kind of comfort and community amongst the sex workers who would have also been outcast. And that's how Soho became known as um, a kind of a gay area too. That's where those roots come from. And on top of that, then, there was kind of, a, a, I think, like a, a, a Jewish... There was, a, there was Jewish people stuck in this. And the West End area becomes associated with the sex trade, gay people, theatre, Jewish people. And you have, that's where, you know, the West End now is where you go to see shows. But it all kind of traces to those, I don't know, bohemian cultures, outcast cultures, the counterculture. And there was a language spoken in Soho on the West End 
known as Pilare. Um, it's not spoken much anymore, but quite a lot of common words that we use today come from uh, Pilare. It was kind of um, <clears throat> a coded language. I mean, Pilare was... It was a mixture of a little bit of Italian um, thieves' cant, which a thieves' cant was... Cant is a language that comes from kind of Romany, but thieves' cant was a language of the street amongst kind of thieves, you know. It was a coded language. So it's a mixture of a little bit of Italian, thieves' cant. Um, I think there was a small bit of Jewish thrown in there. But what it became, this polare... It was how gay, spe- gay people spoke from Victorian times on. Um, loads of words today that we use in, in common usage come from Polare, like drag to refer to clothes, clobber to refer to clothes, the word bimbo to mean someone who's not too smart, uh, naff to say that something is naff as in it's, it's shit, ogle. To ogle at someone, to look at someone. These are all words that come from Polari, and Polari was, it, it like it was, <clears throat> it wasn't just gay people in Soho and the West End. It was kind of theatre people and circus people. The West End became associated with uh, the theatre and the circus and travelling performers, and as well a lot of sailors and stuff. So it was, there was definitely, it can't be. Its roots were definitely gay, but gay people found their way into like the sailing community, obviously, and, and into the theatre community. But Polari was spoken, Jesus, well up into the 1960s in London. And it, what it, what, how, why it was used really was, you have to remember, being gay in London was illegal up until, I think, like 63. And the Metropolitan Police used to send police undercover into Soho to try and find... to try to try and solicit men into sex and then arrest them like a drugs bust. So Polare was used if a lad was in the West End or whatever, this is going back 150 years, they would use certain words that only another gay man would use and that, that was the coded language that said that someone was a part of a fucking community. So there's all this culture and history steeped in Soho. Not only that, though, but like... Like I said, going back to Henry VIII, when it became this this place of vice and sex work and, we'll say, the lords and the dukes all started, you know, hunting in Soho and then it became a little village and then became a town... Around the 18th, 1800s, it started to become quite gentrified because if all the lords and dukes are going there to hang out and, and you know, have sex and do all this stuff, it's going to make the area quite cool. So it became gentrified. So the kind of rich, wealthy Londoners in the 1800s, kind of late 1700s, early 1800s, started moving to Soho and it became gentrified. But, and this is really really important thing about Soho there was an epidemic of cholera in the mid 1840s and cholera is I've mentioned it before it's a particularly horrible disease it's 
contagious bloody diarrhea that'll kill you in, in 48 hours if you don't have the medication for it. And there was an outbreak of cholera in 18... the 1840s, six, around 1850. And this obviously caused all the rich people to get the fuck out of Soho because everyone was dying from bloody diarrhea. But my favourite kind of fact about Soho and what makes, makes it so amazing is that this cholera outbreak it, it's 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 where germs were discovered um, medicine in the mid 1800s wasn't where it is right now and there's a pump in Soho like a, a water pump and the pump is there 200 years and this is one of the most important water pumps it's it's the most important water pump in the world so anyway there was a doctor called John Snow in it in the 1850s and he was living in Soho and he was wondering what the fuck is going on in Soho that everyone is dropping dead from cholera right what's going on and the thinking at the time around diseases is that there were things called humours in the airs so like the air in London at the time would have smelt terribly Um. 1850 is about the same time that London started developing flushing toilets and sewage. Like, there was a thing called the Great Stink of London. I could be wrong, I think it was about 1840. When basically flushing toilets all around London were flushing shit into the, into the Thames. And the stink in London was so bad this summer that they nearly had to shut down Parliament because the Houses of Parliament are on the fucking river, you know? And they nearly had to shut down Parliament because human shit was just being thrown into the fucking river and they didn't have a sewage system. So people believed that the poor smell in the air, and it goes back to the plague, was what caused illness, which they were wrong, of course. So John Snow was in Soho around 1850, wondering what's going on with all these people getting cholera. And he traced the cholera outbreak. Everyone who got cholera drank from this one water pump okay and what happened is that the water pump that the source of water that it was coming from was being infiltrated by cesspits and people who didn't have flushing toilets obviously there was only about a thousand flushing toilets in all of london in 1850 so people used to dig pits out the back garden and just throw shit in there simple as that so the the source of water for this water pump in Soho had been contaminated by shit from people's cesspits. And John Snow figured out everyone who drank from this fountain or this pump got cholera. So it's something that's in the water. And he, this is the start of epidem, how do you call it? Epidemiology, the study of epidemics. Germ theory. This is the first kind of idea that no disease is not spread through the air, through humours. There's tiny little organisms called germs that you can't see but are passed through like human fluids. So cholera is passed through human shit. If you drink water that is in contact with another human shit, there is a high likelihood of cholera. Uh, cholera is not a problem anymore obviously because we have modern sewer systems but 
in Soho, that's where germs were discovered. And that's where germ theory comes from. So it's uh, very, very important. Um, the actual pump, because I go and visit the pump every so often, if I'm wandering around Soho, I go and look at the pump. It's not the actual pump, it's a, a replica that was put there in the 1920s, but still, yurt. So this week's podcast isn't about Polare or human shit or Soho. I just happen to be here. Because it's fucking January, I wouldn't mind doing something in the line of self-care, mental health-ish, an exploration of emotions, because I haven't done one in a while, just to to check in with myself um, for my own mental health and for ye listening then to be able to check in yourselves too, you know? Now, Soho today is like, it's no longer a den of vice. Um, like the sex shops are all gone strip clubs are gone um, there's one or two gay bars like old Compton Street has got the remnants of, of it's gay past but it's much more just kind of heritage historical heritage there's no real gay presence in Soho Soho's just like like my agents are in Soho you know it's it's television companies and loads of class restaurants no long, and tourists um, try convincing my ma my ma who's nearly in her 80s and her reference point for Soho is lads she knew from Tipperary in the 60s who went over there uh, went over to London and came back talking about the fucking mad strip clubs and madness of Soho so my ma's fully convinced that like I'm doing opium in a brothel for a month Um, I'm not so what do I want to talk about this week? Um, I'm not talking about the history of Soho. I want to, because it's January, um, you know, a start to a new year. I want to do something kind of uh, mental healthy, something me- mental health-ish um, in theme with, we'll say, the, the CBT podcasts. Um, mainly just to check in on myself. Because um, that's what I always do when I do a mental health thing. I try and keep it about my own experience. And then for anyone observing, then if they can take something from it, then an added bonus. But I try not to speak for other people. I speak for myself. Um, I'm aware that I have a, a load of new listeners. Um, getting more and more listeners every week. Because it's, it's since... I went on Russell Brand's podcast. The demographics of the listenership have gone fucking mad. I've got listeners from like Argentina and Italy, like really multinational. So if you're a new listener, go back to the very, very start of the podcasts, the very beginning, um, rather than uh, taking it from here. I've got a ton of... Uh, podcasts on on varied themes some of them about mental health some of them about art some of them about economics some of them about philosophy whatever the fuck takes me every week I try and condense it into a hot take so before I get on to the theme of this this week's podcast we'll have our our little ocarina pause Uh, we'll get it out of the way the ocarina pause is when a digital advert is potentially inserted into the podcast so I play 
a South American clay whistle in order to, to warn you so you don't get surprised by an advert. Oh, it sounds lovely in this apartment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I enjoy the sound of that. There's a a gentle reverberation inside this apartment and it does take to the ocarina quite well. Um, This podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Would you like to be a patron of this podcast? Would you like to provide financial support so that this podcast keeps running so that so that i get paid well you can go to patreon.com forward slash the blind by a podcast and you can give me the equivalent of a cup of coffee or a pint once a month and everyone gets the exact same podcast there's no perks as such for being a patron it's just a nice thing to do and it makes a huge difference to my life so please do if you can uh, support this podcast via the Patreon page. I don't know as a Patreon or Patreon. Patreon sounds a bit yankish, doesn't it? So anyway, um, yes. This week, because it's the new year, and, you know, with the new year, we're thinking about resolutions, we're thinking about self-improvement. A good part of that is always... Uh, Set, you know, improving your mental health. So, I want to f- I want to do something around around the emotion of anger. Because anger is, you know, it's one of the core fucking emotions. It's something we all experience as just simply, as part of being alive, as part of existing. And it's. Anger is one of the mo- one of the emotions that can. I, th- I think out out of all of them, if it's not handled properly, can land you in the greatest amount of danger and trouble. Do you know? Um, anger, of course, it can manifest itself healthily or unhealthily. 
what I'm interested in, like from a cognitive, uh, from a cognitive behavioural therapy point of view, it's the unhealthy expression of anger. Um, if anger is something like w- when anger is expressed unhealthily, like it can, it'll make shit of your relationships with people, either work colleagues or people close to you, and it'll ultimately it'll make shit of your own se- your own self esteem when anger is is unhealthily expressed, and. Like first off, what what's what's the difference? Healthy anger, because like like anger is part of the tapestry of being alive. Simple as that. You can't avoid feeling angry. Anger is necessary. Anger is useful. You know it exists for a reason. Healthy anger, I'm speaking about. So, healthy anger is like. When you feel annoyed or irritated, healthy anger is a is a it's a motivational emotion. It kicks in and it motivates you to actually help the situation that has triggered the anger. Right? What'd be a good example? You're in a queue for a shop and someone skips in front of you. That's a universal trigger for. Anger, okay, because in our society we have rules about queues exist in a shop for a reason and when someone jumps ahead or tries to do something snaky, a fucking car, in a car, a queue, queue for a roundabout or something as well. Queues are just one of those things. When someone jumps ahead, we universally spot that as that person is doing something wrong, Okay. If you react to that situation with healthy anger, the healthy anger allows you to assert yourself, right? So the man jumps in front of you, you notice that, you feel a slight irritation, um, a jolt of the heart maybe, you might feel it in your belly a little bit, and causes you to be very alert you all of a sudden become quite alert and healthy anger will will allow you to address the person and go not accusatory you'll go i'm sorry there's a line here what's the story healthy anger will you know you're asking a question because the fact of the matter is as well the person who's jumping a jumping the queue they might actually have a good reason they might have a good reason and when they say it to you you'll actually go actually do you know what you can jump ahead of me let's just say it's a queue for a toilet and they've got like irritable bowel syndrome or crazy diarrhea if someone jumps ahead of me in the the queue for a jacks and they say look I really need to go I'm going to go that's fine jump ahead there healthy anger will allow you to assertively assess the situation deal with it address the other person and not do it in a confrontational fashion so that's why that anger exists in in that respect to to serve a meaningful purpose that improves your life now unhealthy anger that's rage and hate unhealthy anger is when you behave aggressively or violently 
like even even to a small provocation are most commonly the most common expression of unhealthy anger is passive aggression so let's go to the queue jumping scenario again usually unhealthy anger presents itself when one of your personal rules are broken okay I spoke about this on previous podcasts. All of us have certain rules about how we'd like to be treated by other people or how we think the world should be, okay? And these rules are personal to ourselves. Some of them are reflected in society, but they're often very personal. We get them from parents or from siblings or whatever. And... Other people don't know how strongly we personally believe these rules. So let's just say you are the type of person who believes very strongly that you must be polite in public settings and other people must also be polite. And you you, you believe this in a... You use words like should and must. So in public situations, people must be polite to me and to other people. And they should always be polite because if they are not, that is disgraceful. If that's a view that you have, a personal rule, then a situation where someone jumps a queue for the toilet can be very triggering for your anger. Okay? So, person jumps ahead. You see it happen. Instead of, you know, healthy anger making you become alert immediately you're fucking fuming. You're looking at the other person who jumped the queue and there's two different unhealthy ways that it can go. And this often tends to be, not always, but it's kind of gendered. So men tend to express rage. Okay, um... It's, it's, I think it's, be, it's because of gender roles and how we're brought up. Little boys are entitled to be angry. Little boys are... Parents allow little boys to throw a tantrum and to throw their Lego across the room. That, that's a, an expression of unhealthy anger that little boys... Their gender role is, is allowed to express. Little girls aren't. If a little girl smashes her Lego on the ground, it's unladylike, so she's corrected in that respect so you tend to end up with adult men and their expression their unhealthy expression of anger can be very destructive and rageful whether it be in words or whether it be physically so the queue is jumped and the man's personal rule has been broken how fucking dare this cunt jump the queue Who the fuck does he think he is? Who does this person think they are? They think they're better than me, don't they? They think they're one above me and can walk all over me. Well, I'm going to show them. So now all of a sudden, the person who jumped ahead, who might have a serious dose of the Scotters, lads, all of a sudden now, think about what happens to your body with that amount of anger. You clench your teeth. Your face feels hot. Your body shakes. Your fists are clenched. You tremble. 
you do not really feel in control. You feel as if you could lash out and punch and bite at any moment and it's not fully in your control. Very dangerous position to be in a public situation. So the person who jumps ahead now, you decide to express your unhealthy anger. In a fucking, you know, in a queue situation, most people aren't, to go, aren't, aren't going to go straight for the headbutt. All right? 99% of people will not go straight for the headbutt. Instead, what they'll do is they will take the posture of someone who's about to throw a headbutt and then immediately address the person and say, what the fuck are you doing? The fuck are you doing in the queue? And then the other person turns around and goes, I'm really sorry, I've got irritable bowel syndrome. What? What the fuck are you doing jumping ahead of the queue? You haven't listened to the person because the rage will not allow any uh, rational cognitive information to come in. The person whispers again, I've got irritable bowel syndrome, I'm so sorry, I really need to go to the toilet. And now, suddenly dawns on you, oh fuck, I'm after screaming at someone for jumping the queue. Um, I was ready to kick their fucking head in. You're not going to apologise. Because anger doesn't let you apologize. Rage doesn't let you apologize. So instead, probably say something like, well, you shouldn't be jumping queues. And then spend the rest of the time in the queue. Probably allow the person in front of you because they're going to shit themselves. And silently wallow in a shame and embarrassment. Because that's the other problem with unhealthy expressions of rage. It lives next door to shame because our society really, it, it's embarrassing for an adult to express rage and hate, do you know? For most people, to, you know, to shout at someone in the queue of a toilet or to call them a name and to have to stand there and they just told you they have IBS. That's a very, that's kind of a shameful situation. So if you're a person who has issues with unhealthy anger and you find yourself expressing unhealthy anger a lot I would wager then that you're also in a, in a continual cycle of shame and that reduces your self esteem now back to the gendered thing um, now this isn't absolute this isn't absolute across like women have issues with uh, physical aggression Expressions of rage in an aggressive fashion too. I'm just saying because of how gender roles raise us, it tends to be lads are the ones with the issue with expressing rage and then women have a different way of expressing equally unhealthy anger. So this is where passive aggression comes in. So to take it back to the, the children, little boy is allowed to express rage. He's allowed to smash his Lego. Little girl is not. That's unladylike. She's allowed to cry. So if a little girl feels upset, she's allowed to, instead of smashing her Lego, she can cry about it because it, it, the Lego didn't work out or whatever. And the parents will reward the crying in the way that they reward the boys will be boys behavior. So that can end up with adult women who express rage and anger in, in a different fashion, in either true tears or true passive aggression. So if 
we'll say a person doesn't doesn't express rage and they also have the personal rule of someone must not jump the queue in the toilet and someone does jump the queue they this person they feel the anger they feel their fists clench their jaw clenches they shake with rage but it doesn't express itself you know healthy anger motivates you to assert yourself to say to the person excuse me you've just jumped ahead why is that healthy expression then the other unhealthy expression with rage who the fuck do you think you are you just jumped ahead accusatory tone the third on the, the second unhealthy response the passive aggressive response which is to do nothing the person who isn't okay with getting that rage out but instead internalizes it via passive aggression they'll say fuck all the person will jump ahead and the person the passive aggressive person will stand there seething to the point that you can nearly hear their teeth chatter but saying nothing not address the person in front of them not ask the question why did you jump ahead of the queue instead stand there and allow themselves to be walked over um, which is detrimental for that person too because the reason they're, this has been triggered into internal rage is because they have um, a strong rule about you must not jump queues. If you jump queues, it means you think you're better than me. It means you are being rude. So it's very hurtful for this person, but they're silently seething in the fucking rage and doing nothing about it. The reason they're not doing anything about it and internalizing the rage is that they're terrified of that expression. They're terrified of expressing that rage because passive-aggressive people have been raised not to express rage, but to express it in different ways. So, like, lashing out at the person, that's going to have a detrimental effect on your self-esteem, obviously, because you have the shame of publicly embarrassing yourself. You have the shame of screaming at someone with IBS or whatever other situation a waiter do you know your partner your ma your dog your child do you know that's a common one with parents who have issues with fucking anger you know that's a real difficult one children get annoying but the thing with children is that they're not a child isn't emotionally and mentally mature that they're 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 entitled to be annoying you know but often adults who have issues with anger will give an adult amount of anger and rage at a child for banging their tie too loud, do you know? Which is very shameful then for the parent because they feel awful for having screamed at the child or, or hitting the child even. But back to the passive-aggressive person in the toilet queue. They don't express their rage. They silently sit with it. It bubbles around inside them. Their face goes red and they feel like a failure. They're terrified of confronting the person who they think has slighted them. And this confirms to them that not only are they allowing themselves to be walked over, but they don't even have the courage to express it. And it's a very, very vicious cycle of unhealthy rage and... 
shame, self-deprecating shame, which over time, like that's a recipe for depression, you know? That's a recipe for mental health issues. Um, how does it express itself passive-aggressively then? I doubt in a situation where it's a toilet queue, you're never going to see that person again. But the passive-aggressive person, they might truly struggle for the rest of the day with very violent fantasies of revenge. That's the other thing with anger. You can, you can hand so much of your power and energy over to another person when you live with unhealthy anger. So passive-aggressive person, you know, they haven't even enjoyed their time in the queue. They could have taken out their phone, they could have read a Wikipedia article. They didn't. They tried to look at their phone and read it, but it didn't work because the rage wouldn't even allow them to fucking look at the screen. The person has gone in, gone to the toilet. Passive-aggressive person has also gone to the toilet. It's in a supermarket, we'll say, or a, what do you call them? Fucking shopping mall. Shopping centre. The rest of the passive-aggressive person's day is ruined. They went to the shopping centre to get a cup of coffee for themselves, to try and find a new book, uh, to, you know, to, to, to see what's on in the cinema. Their day is now ruined because the passive-aggressive person is fantasising about what, the, what they could have said in the queue to the person who skipped them. All the different scenarios of, I should have said that, I should have did this, that would have shown them. The fucking cunt. People are always walking ahead of me, walking ahead of me in queues, thinking they're better. One day I'll show them. And then they might fantasise about choking the person. Or fantasise about screaming at them in public and, you know, looming over them, enacting revenge. And this can continue on for the rest of the day. That's the danger of fucking anger unhealthy expressions of it you carry it around for the rest of the fucking day so that's just one example healthy expression this is a motivational force this healthily allows me to address the it's it's objectively fair to say that if someone skips ahead of you in a queue for a toilet 99% of people will go that is grounds for someone getting checked okay it is that's grounds to go, hold on a second, buddy. What is going on? A question. Unhealthy anger, rage, accusation. You don't even take into consideration that the person jumping ahead may have needs, may have a reason. The person in this situation has IBS. What if the person doesn't have IBS? Like, this This happened to me, actually. Um... Yeah, I was in a queue in fucking the airport over in Malaga. Roar and hangover, my head up my arse. And it was a stupid queue. It was it was the Ryanair fucking queue for the the baggage. So to be honest, it, it doesn't even matter where you are in the queue. You know, it really doesn't. But this young Irish couple ahead of me eyed my head up my hole so I was looking left and right and they literally proper snakily jumped ahead like the wrong type of queue jumping just straight up you're being a prick and 
I didn't do or say anything about it because fear of confrontation. Didn't, it was like I had a hangover. It was the morning. I didn't want confrontation. Part of me as well rationalised it as it doesn't matter. We're still getting on the same fucking plane. So I kind of, in a sense, I healthily dealt, dealt with it because I said, do you know what? We're all going to get on the plane at the same fucking time. So it doesn't actually matter. It's not worth an argument. It, it, they're just being silly. They think by jumping ahead that it gives them an advantage, but it doesn't at all. So I left it off for that reason because there was no point. But the same time, it then started to spark in me insecurity, uh, which I had to then take responsibility for because the insecurity that it sparked was, it was like, it wasn't that they jumped ahead. It was the, who do they think they are that they can do it? And for me, because I would have been, I'd have been bullied when I was younger, you know, when I was a kid, I would have been bullied. So I have to be mindful of certain things around that that I don't, like, I don't get bullied anymore, put it that way. I'm I'm a, a grown adult now and I'm very assertive and I'm not the type of person who gets bullied and I can express myself and I can exert my, assert myself. And the part of me that used to get bullied, that's me in the past, you know? And I'm glad to have conquered it and to have taken ownership of it, but I still can get a little bit triggered. And when they jumped ahead of me in the queue, it did trigger me a bit in that, again, it, it got at my self-esteem. For me, it wasn't that they jumped ahead. It was, what is it about me that suggests to other people that I'm a walkover? Which is completely irrational. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very irrational. I started to go into a very insecure place where I started to think, is something about my body language, is something about me do I look like a person who isn't deserving of the basic respect of fucking being in a queue? They were just being opportunistic for the sake of it. It's like, here's an opportunity to jump the queue. Let's do it anyway. It was silly. And they were only like 19. So I don't know what they're thinking is, but the behavior was irrational. It's what's the point in jumping a queue when there's no actual benefit to jumping it? But they did it. I ended up being angry about it for... Up until the gate of the plane, put it that way. I wasn't fuming, I wasn't furious, but Malaga Airport, putting my fucking baggage in at Ryanair, that's done. Then I have the security queue. Then I had a full hour in lovely duty-free region, do you know, where I could have bought some spirits or bought some fucking wine. But the entirety of my time in duty-free... I certainly was not in the present moment. I was not in the here and now. I wasn't happy. I wasn't enjoying my last moments in Spain. I was instead in my own head going over who do they think they are that they could have jumped ahead of me and what is it about me that lets two strangers think that I can be jumped ahead of. They wouldn't have done it to someone else. So think of all that wasted energy all that power I've handed over to two strangers, an entire evening ruined for nothing. They jumped ahead because that, that's just what these people do. They chanced their arm 
there's someone who chants their arm, they're okay with conflict. And it's fine and it doesn't affect me. And it didn't even matter. We both got onto the same fucking plane. I think I even got ahead of him. Do you know? But the reason I'm telling that story is that it's an example of how personal rules and anger, how you can truly fucking waste your life and waste your day. There is no greater waste of time than to give emotional labour over to something that hasn't happened yet or has already happened. And what I did in that moment is that I gave two hours of my time that I could have been using to instead of fucking mindfully enjoying the duty free and buying myself a bottle of limoncello which I had intended to do I would intended to buy limoncello in the duty free and I didn't because I'd given so much of my energy towards a situation in the past that I couldn't change and that's the opposite of mindfulness when I speak about mindfulness that behaviour is the exact opposite and I try very hard to not have any of that in my life because that's where sadness comes from but for some people a lot of their life is spent like that passive aggressively fantasising over what you could have said or would have said or what was it about you that another person felt that they could break one of your rules do you know so just a quick one you know identifying the difference between healthy and unhealthy anger with unhealthy anger you tend to be a hallmark is rigid demands or rules about how other people must behave insisting that other people don't insult or ridicule you you know again personal rules I must not be insulted in my existence in this earth I must not be insulted or ridiculed. Demanding that, like, other people don't get in the way of what you want. I am going to get what I want and no one's getting in the way. Assuming automatically that you're right and the other person is wrong. And then the behaviour of how, how unhealthy anger manifests itself. Wanting to, wanting to attack someone wanting to physically or verbally lash into someone actually going ahead with it you know throwing someone a slap screaming into someone's face screaming at your child kicking a dog or passive aggressively you know doing it via revenge or other ways or fantasising about hurting someone or fantasising about someone getting their comeuppance and doing something really sneaky behind their back, ratting them out to the boss at work. Um, I don't know, signing their fucking email up to a, a, a porn site. Revenge tactics. Take a, a good sign of unhealthy anger, unfortunately, is t- taking the anger out on innocent parties. It could be another person, it could be an animal, it could be an object. If your rage and anger is such that you're kicking a bin 
or slamming a door, that's not good, or punching a wall, kicking a dog, or most often being fucking horrible to someone in your life who really loves you and is close to you. And they're often the person who gets the brunt of anger because they won't reject you. Could be your partner, it could be your parent, it could be a sibling, it could be a child. Being horrible to that person because they won't reject you. And then feeling obviously intense shame for having done it and being scared to apologise because it's so embarrassing. Plotting revenge, holding a grudge, attempting to turn other people against the person who has broken your rule, searching for evidence that the person is a horrible cunt. Do you know, you're furiously angry with someone, so you, re- you refuse to allow in any positive information about the person because they are absolutely a cunt who's trying to hurt you. And just in generally being over vigilant towards people who might break your personal rules that they don't know about. Physical characteristics of unhealthy anger, clenched finched, clenched, clenched, clenched fist, tension in your muscles, your neck, your shoulders, trembling, feeling hot, your heartbeat, heartbeat thumping feeling a pain in your forehead. These are all the signs of unhealthy anger, of rage. And, you know, wh- why does that exist? Of course it has a purpose. If you're fighting for your fucking life, if you're actually in a situation whereby you may die and you need to fight, you need to dehumanise the other person. If it's an animal, if you need to smash something's head in with a rock, if you need to choke someone to death, in the very rare occasion in this 21st century life where you find your life actually threatened, then the emotional response of rage and hatred is very useful. It's a survival technique, but 99.9% of the time, it's unneeded, it's unhealthy. It will not improve the situation. So we can discard it. We don't need to be doing that much unhealthy anger. Healthy anger. Instead of having rigid demands about how people must treat you and your rules about queue skipping or, you know, rules of the road or whatever the fuck or someone being rude to you in a restaurant or people saying hello to you or not saying hello to you. Instead of having these rigid rules, you just have strong preferences. So if you're in the queue for the toilet, like I said, it's, it's reasonable and okay to have a, the, hold the position that I'm in the queue and I'm going to go to the toilet and the person behind me is going to go to the toilet after me and if someone jumps this queue, that's not good. That's perfectly reasonable. That That's a fine position to hold. But the healthy position is I have a strong preference that someone doesn't jump ahead of me and if someone does jump ahead of me, I'm going to ask him a couple of questions. That's fine. But it's not, no one's jumping ahead of me. You must not jump ahead. And if you do jump ahead, that means you think you're better than me. And you're not. 
that's not going to help anyone, that attitude, that rigidity. You've got flexible rules about how, you know, how you expect other people to behave. Strongly prefer that others don't insult or ridicule you. That's fine. You're going to get ridiculed. You're going to be insulted in your life. This is going to happen. You will meet people who either don't respect you or are having a bad day. Like me in the airport. People jumped ahead of me in the queue. They might have thought I was a sucker. That's possible or else that's just what they do. But this happened to me and it's okay and it's going to happen again. It doesn't reflect on me. Uh, you have a desire that other people and life conditions don't get in the way of you getting what you want. Again, it's strong preference. You're entitled to get what you want. You're entitled to get what you want without other people get, getting in the way. But be flexible around it. Don't be rigid. Sometimes people will and that's okay. Um... Healthy anger, you, you tend to consider the other person's point of view. Rage will not allow this. When the person jumps the queue, healthily you go, I wonder why that person thinks that's okay. With rage and unhealthy anger, it's there, there's none of this. You're not thinking about the other person's point of view. They've simply bo- broken a rule and they must be punished. Whereas healthy, you go, Fuck it, maybe that person is in distress. I'm curious as to why this person has just jumped ahead of me. And like I said in the scenario I, I described, that person had IBS. That's very common. People with IBS um, or other bowel disorders, they really sometimes need to jump the queue or they need to go into the disabled toilets, you know? A person with healthy anger, the way they behave is... They're assertive. Um, Acting assertive means that you're comfortable and confident in standing up for your own rights. You're not scared. An assertive person in a queue has no problem going to the person who jumped ahead and said, can you explain yourself? The person who's consumed by rage, they're either blurting out sheer anger or they're scared to go there. They're scared to say to the person, why did you jump ahead? Because of the emotion that might come out. A healthily, someone with healthy anger, they'll stay in the situation with the intent of resolving it. So if someone jumps ahead in the queue and you experience healthy anger, it's only about the queue. What it's about is, you've jumped ahead of me. This means that I'm going to get to the toilet in a less amount of time. Can we solve this? And is there room for me to compromise depending on your position? With rage and unhealthy anger, there's none of that. Once the person jumps ahead of you in the queue and you are filled with rage, it's no longer about you needing to take a piss. It's no longer about the queue. It is only about winning losing and who thinks they're better than the other person it has nothing to do with the actual situation at hand there's that's core difference between rage unhealthy anger and healthy anger 
it's the rational mechanics of the situation at hand. Me in the airport, like I said, one half of me handled it correctly. I looked at the situation. The situation was, even though these people have jumped ahead of me, we're still getting to the airplane at the exact same time. Therefore, conflict is unnecessary. So I made a healthy choice in the moment to not engage conflict and to just let them ahead, who cares? But it was later that it was other shit that triggered me around my own self-esteem. Um, a healthy anger is where you request the other person to modify their behaviour and you respect their right to disagree with you. So you kind of go, you're after jumping ahead there. Do you mind stepping back? And if the person says, look, I really need to go to the toilet, chances are you'll probably just go, fair enough. If the other person's flat out being a prick, you kind of have to, the best way to go there is you go, are you not embarrassed? And if they're the type of person who's shameless, you make a choice there and then, you go, I might leave him ahead of me. Doesn't matter that much. If it's something that really matters, you look at the structures that are available to you call the fucking call security do you know be that person if you have to don't be that person if it just means being right be that person if the person jumping ahead of you in the queue has actually caused a noticeable negative effect on your day if you might miss a flight if you are missing out on something that's when you're entitled to get security involved don't get security involved because this person jumped ahead of me. How dare you? Now I'm getting security to show you that you're wrong. That's passive aggression. That's seeking out punishment. And there's a distinction between the two. Um, a healthily angry person. They look for evidence that the other person may not have behaved with malicious intent. You search for the reason why the other person is behaving in a way that you disagree with. And you don't immediately go to, they're an absolute cunt. You go for, there might be a reason here. Being able to forgive and forget. Healthy anger allows someone to forgive. Unhealthy anger doesn't. It's too wrapped up in shame. So, like, how do we deal with this, lads? If a lot of this stuff I'm saying is ringing true with you. And this, this is one of those things. Everyone can relate to this. Everyone can relate to a healthy and unhealthy anger. It's just some people might live their lives more in the unhealthy than the healthy. But all of us fly off the handle every so often, you know. Um, it's about minimising it. But other people struggle. And it happens a lot. And... There's lads I know who have gotten themselves in very, very serious trouble because of fucking anger. There's lads I know who've really hurt other people. They've, you know, they, they get into fucking fights outside Supermax. I've got friends who ended, ended up in jail because of throwing punches or picking up a glass because of fucking anger. So it's very destructive. I know people who've had to leave relationships because because of anger, because of expressing it through 
passive aggression because of seething with it it's a really fucking destructive one and it is completely it's unnecessary we don't need it we don't need all that unhealthy anger there's a way around it simplest way going back to our CBT first off understand your personal rules okay so what do we do when we're doing CBT we have our ABC form next time you get unhealthily angry right and learn like I said there I just listed out the checkpoints for when you're unhealthily angry are you experiencing rage are you shaking do you fantasize about revenge do you know what? that's a sign of unhealthy anger unjustified anger when that happens write down a what is the activating event someone skipped ahead of me in the queue um my close personal friend i think that they slagged me in front of my my other friends do you know it, it, it can get very anger can get very seething and personal when it comes to relationships and friendships too you know really unconscious shit or you think the other person is, is putting you down all the time and they mightn't be and it can really seethe for a long time to the point that that's the weird thing with relationships is is you could have a friend who you're angry with over a long period of time and a good portion of your day can be spent fantasizing about putting them in their place and when it comes to actually doing it you can't because you're shaking and you can't express the most basic of emotions because you're up at a hundred and they're down at zero, unaware that you're secretly hating them. And the problem there is probably you. What, 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 which one of your rules are being broken? What is your friend doing? You know, there's the thing. Find the activating event. Write your out, out your personal rules. The personal rules that you hold to yourself. The shoulds and the musts the unrealistic standards that you are holding another person to that is causing them to break your imaginary rules every day and upset you. Write those out. A. B. The behaviour. How are you behaving now as a result of this? C. The emotions that you're experiencing. Although, wait, no, I got it arseways. A. Activating event. B. Your emotions. And then C is the behaviour, isn't it? Your thoughts influence your emotions, which then influence your behaviour. Yeah. So have a lash of that with the anger, with each triggering event. Write it down in front of you. And be honest. Yesterday, I don't know, I'm trying to think of examples. Yesterday I met my friend and they were in a bit of a mood and they were rude to me and it made me feel really small and then I spent the rest of the day really angry and thinking about choking them write that down write it down write down on a sheet of paper your violent fantasy or you dreamt about sh throwing your coffee at them or screaming into their face write it down only you can see it and then when it's there in front of you and you're looking at I wanted to pour coffee on my friend Brendan. When it's on the piece of paper, you'll go, holy fuck. That's a bit irrational, isn't it? I don't really want to pour coffee on him. I don't actually want to scream in his face. 
I just wish he'd stop doing that small thing. How have I allowed it get to such situation in my head when I'm thinking about choking someone? Write it down. See the irrationality on the page. Take it outside of yourself and then you go, wow, that's, that's quite a lot of, un- that's un- some unhealthy thoughts for me to be carrying around all day. I'd like to eradicate that. And change your rules. You know, once you have your rules down, once you go, um, my, <clears throat> if your rule is my close friends must be nice to me every time they meet me, and then your friend Brendan has broken that rule by being rude that morning, you go for that rule and you go, instead of must, you go, I would like it if my friends were nice to me every morning. Instead of fantasizing about choking Brendan, think about, I wonder what the reasons were that Brendan didn't say hello to me. I I wonder what's going on for him. Now all of a sudden you're in empathy land, you're in compassion land. Now you, you are now looking at your friend Brendan as a human being with emotions and with their own problems. Maybe Brendan was not aware at all that he was being rude to you because he has his own shit going on. Now you're thinking about reaching out to Brendan and asking him how he's getting on. That's a real friendship. That's a relationship. And here's the beauty about, about that, about using empathy. So... When someone breaks one of your personal rules and makes you feel great anger, okay, and rage, when you act on that rage and you physically hit them or you scream at them, right, and it's unjustified, because like I said, 99% of the time it's unjustified unless your life is being threatened. So let's say your friend Brendan was rude to you yesterday morning and you you want Brendan, Brendan has to be nice to you every time he meets you because that's your rule. So let's just say later that night you scream at Brendan, you're a fucking rude cunt, I hate you. You're a prick. Nobody likes you, you fucking cunt. Or whatever rage, the idiot wind as, as Bob Dylan calls it. Bob Dylan's got a song called Idiot Wind and it's about... Every time him and his, his wife argue, they, they scream and roar insults at each other. But because they're both gripped by blind rage, it's idiot wind. They're both idiots in that moment. They're not speaking the truth. They're saying things simply to hurt the other person. That's one of the other destructive things about rage and unhealthy anger. Do you ever get into an argument with someone you really care about and you're blind with rage? And all of a sudden you're saying these horrible things that you don't mean at all. And they come out of your mouth and you wish you could take them back, but you can't. That's what rage does. That's the idiot wind. And it's very, very embarrassing when things cool down. You feel like a piece of shit. So here's the beauty of, you know, like I said, they're the CBT model when conquering rage. So you're looking at your personal rules and what's been broken and... You're thinking, okay, Brendan didn't say hello to me this morning. Instead of thinking he's a rude prick who's trying to hurt you, you go immediately to, maybe Brendan's not doing so well. Compassion. If you act on the rage, and later on that night you call Brendan a selfish cunt, that lowers your self-esteem. That lowers your self-worth. When you give in to an unhealthy emotion, 
It lowers your sense of self, the thing that keeps you happy and grounded. When you challenge the unhealthy emotion and reach instead for compassion, it raises your self-esteem. So, alternative scenario. Brendan doesn't say hello to you, your best friend. You're annoyed about it because you'd like it for your best friend to be nice to you in the morning. That's an okay thing to want. Uh, you have a preference for that. So later on that night, instead of going to Brendan with rage and saying, fuck you for ignoring me this morning, people could have been watching. That, was, that could have been embarrassing. Instead of going there, you go to Brendan and you say, Brendan, to be honest, man, you were a small bit rude this morning or a little bit off. I'm just wondering, are you okay? And then Brendan tells you, yeah, I haven't been doing great at the moment. When you do that, when you reach into your own compassion and use empathy to reach out for, to another person to diffuse anger, that's true adult behaviour. And your self-esteem grows. Your sense of self-worth grows the more you do that. The more you use compassion and empathy complex fucking emotions that require you know the marriage of cognitive and emotive thought when you do that it's like you're you're not only yourself not only does your self-esteem grow but your personal issues with anger that's what chips them away the act of doing that's what that's what stops you being a slave to the unhealthy emotion when you use empathy and compassion to defeat them And before long, you turn into a person who no longer has an issue with unhealthy anger, who a person who assertively deals with conflict through compassion. Like that's a fantastic goal. That's a great way to be happy. You know, you're the person in the queue. And when someone jumps ahead of you in the toilet, you're immediately going for what uh, what must be wrong with this person that they've jumped ahead and you ask them why have you jumped ahead are you okay and they might turn around to you and say I'm not okay I really need to jump ahead or they're just rude and if they're just rude because you've gone there with compassion you don't really care that your personal rule has been broken you just go might just let this rude person ahead of me for the piss so I can have a quiet day and enjoy this article on my phone that I've been reading. I certainly will not be carrying around carrying them around at me for the rest of the day through anger. Do you get me? And a good thing, and the other thing is, well, I have to learn to put up with other humans. We, we live in a world with other human beings and other human beings will be a continual source of disappointment. You are going to be disappointed in your life. You're going to be insulted. You're going. To, someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to try and hurt you. People will act without your best interests at hand. People will think they're better than you. People will try and walk over you. You can try and catch most of these things in their tracks. But a lot of the time, they're just going to slip through. And that's okay. It's part of the tapestry of human existence. You can't have it perfectly all the time. You can't not have people offending you. You can't not have people hurting your feelings. This is part of 
being alive, build up your armour and accept that other people are infallible, imperfect human beings. Okay? To have strong rules and preferences around politeness or around rules, it kind of assumes that other people are privy to these things or it assumes that other people are fully functional humans or that other people have had the type of upbringing where these things were valued or that other people had happy childhoods. Some people carry around an awful lot of pain and they're, they, they express this destructively, you know, and it doesn't make it okay, but you're going to run into those people. You're going to run into someone with a lot of pain inside them and they deal with this through destruction and you might be in that path and this is going to happen and that's part of human existence. So that's my ramble on anger. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, before I fuck off, how are we doing time-wise? I'd say that was a long one, was it? 79 minutes. Do you know we haven't had a long podcast in a while? Um, I'm going to take one question before I fuck off. I'm always ranting and not taking enough questions. I'm going to take an agony ant one. Every so often I get agony ant style questions either through the Patreon or through Instagram DMs or on Snapchat. So I got one from, an interesting one from a lad called Dermot. And Dermot's, hold on, no, I'm, it's in Snapchat, so I'm trying to save it in Snapchat so I can read it. So Dermot asks, how are you blind by? I've no doubt that you are tortured with requests. I figured it'd be no harm to stick this in writing anyway, and it might be a topic or question that you get a chance to cover on the podcast someday. It's to do with retroactive jealousy. Oh, basically, I was married for two years and separated last March. I've been seeing a lovely girl since July and things have been going great. You probably think the retroactive jealousy is in relation to her and my marriage, but quite the opposite. She has no issue with my past and has been more than great about it all. I'm the dick getting caught up overthinking about her past and in particular one 10 month sort of relationship she had with a fella in her friend group they are still in a big friend group but she assures me there is no desire or feeling there and I do believe her alright Dermot Um, first off like you need to use a bit of cognitive behaviour therapy around jealousy right it's quite obvious you're you are not in the right in this respect. Um retroactive jealousy it's a highly, highly irrational fantasy. It's it's a really <sighs> look, here's here here's the here's where you should be going to Dharma, right? This is the reality of the situation. People who get excessively jealous in relationships tend to have very, very strong personal rules about how another person must be, okay? So what are your personal rules around how your girlfriend must behave? Try and write them out. I'll take a guess at them. 
she must only be attracted to me. She must not be attracted to other men. She must love me and me alone. Um, she must adore me. Things like that. They, these tend to be the, the secret hidden rules of, of people who suffer from jealousy, right? Those are unrealistic. Here, here, here are the facts of the matter. And this goes for fucking everyone. If you're an adult in an adult relationship, everybody in a relationship with somebody that they love should be meditating on these facts, all right? The person who you love, right, they fancy other people. This is a fact, okay? Your girlfriend of 20 years, your wife, your husband, the parent of your children who loves you and is devoted to you, they want to have sex with other people. This is a guarantee. This is natural. This is part of being human. Right? Sometimes the person who you are love and is devoted to you, sometimes they will look at you and they will think to themselves, I could have done better. Sometimes they'll fantasize about what their life would be like if they were with another person. That other person could be one of your friends. The reason this happens is because that's just how humans are. Okay? There's nothing wrong with wanting fidelity and monogamy. These are completely normal things to want. They're healthy things to want. But you cannot demand that another person is 100% faithful in how they think all the time. It's not how humans work. And when your girlfriend wakes up in the middle of the night and looks at you and thinks, I could have done better, tomorrow she will go, she'll be thinking, no, he's perfect, he's the best in the whole world. Because humans fluctuate, humans are f- fallible, humans make mistakes, humans doubt themselves. If you truly, truly love this girl, Dermot, right? If you really love her and you want to be with her, the greatest gift that you can give her, okay? Allow her the freedom to be a human being, okay? To have strong rules that she must not be attracted to other men, that she must never cheat on you, that she must not think about cheating on you. To have these rules means that you're not allowing her to be a human. Humans are fallible. Humans aren't... Humans aren't monogamous. Society is monogamous. Humans aren't. Doesn't mean that you have to put up with someone cheating on you all the time. If fucking you want a monogamous relationship, that's not fair. But you have to allow someone their fallibility and humanity to be able to want someone else and to fluctuate between how much they desire you and how much they like you and for you to have this self-esteem this ultimately comes down to self-esteem you need to have to work on your own self-worth to the point that it doesn't matter if sometimes she fancies her fucking maybe she does 
Maybe she doesn't at all. Maybe she genuinely has no interest whatsoever in that fella that she was with before. Maybe she, she actually doesn't at all. Maybe sometimes she doesn't and every so often she might have a wank about a fuck they had 10 months ago. These are all parts of being a human being. But it shouldn't matter to you. What should matter is you're an independent human being and your significant other's behaviour or how much they desire another human being has no impact whatsoever on your self-worth. You are who you are. It's as simple as that. Allow her the humanity to be fallible. And if both of you can do that for each other, you're sorted. It, think about it. Like, it's the mad thing about human relationships. Like, if you ever feel yourself getting jealous or making demands on, we'll say, your romantic partner, right? Think about applying the same rules to one of your best friends. Like, because human relationships, human romantic relationships are weird. Because physical attraction is an element. The, the ideal relationship, romantic relationship, that all people should be looking for, in my opinion, is can you find a best friend who happens to have a set of genitals that you're interested in? If you can get that, you're sorted for life. That's all you want, a best friend. And ask yourself about your current romantic partner. If this person did not have interesting genitals, would they still be my best friend? Do you know what I mean? But think about your best friends. How do you choose them? You don't. You just find them. Like someone from me, if if I'm close to a friend, it's usually just sense of humour. It's not interests. Like, I know plenty of people who are into the same music as me, as into, into the same art. That doesn't mean I get along with them. What connects people usually is sense of humour. Do you laugh together at the same shit? That's what connects people. Imagine I told you, you have to go out there now and try and choose a best friend, but you have to do it based on hair colour. That's romantic relationships. You're searching for the best friend but you're essentially being tied back by physical attraction because everyone has different tastes with physical attraction. So you're like, oh yeah, I fancy her based on these, this physical kind of desire and this chemistry. But there's no guarantee that that person can be a best friend. That's what makes it so fucking rare. Is that a rant? Is That, a, that was a little a, a sidetracking rant about human attraction. Find the best friend with interesting genitals, everybody, if you can. That's all you're looking for. That, that, is, the, that is the best anyone can hope for. Best friend with interesting genitals. But uh, Dermot, um, if you continue on with that line of, of re- retrospective jealousy, it's just not going to end up well for you, you know? It'll be a self, self-fulfilling prophecy. There's no... It, it's, it's very difficult to express jealousy in a relationship without also coming across as as very controlling and nobody likes that feeling would you be best friends with somebody who's trying to control you you wouldn't which are best like think of your best friends Dermot think of how fallible you allow them to be think of how you laugh together when they fuck up Think of how you embrace 
the, the you know the, their flaws the things that they don't like about themselves are the things that you like about them try and find that energy and bring it towards a romantic relationship allow her to be a fallible human being who every so often might want to be attracted to lads who aren't you and for you to be able to go that's okay do you know why it's okay because it's normal that's how humans are and me asking her to only be attracted to me all the time that is an unrealistic standard that doesn't exist and if I do that if I hold that rule I am setting myself up for disappointment because it's not fair on her and it's hard work obviously won't happen overnight but meditate on it take it on board be really really comfortable learn to get comfortable with the with the the reality of she likes me every so often she likes someone else too and that's okay all right i'm gonna leave you go that was a long bye that was a really long bye um god bless i'll see you next week uh i hope the sound was okay i think it's not too bad quite happy with this studio setup go fuck yourselves Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 